who's worse at running things, Elon Musk with Twitter or me with this podcast? I still think Elon, you know, he probably he probably edges me out of here, but I haven't been doing a good job with this. I'm sorry. I feel like I start every show with this, but but it's been a couple weeks since I recorded again. However, uh, I think I have at least a reasonable excuse. Uh, you know, some family stuff was going on. Everything's okay. We're all good, but had some family matters to address that it had to unfortunately involve some travel. Uh, so that was taken care of, and that kind of happened the past couple weeks. And it also doesn't help that this is at the same time that uh, my apartment building has decided to replace the roof. So, you know, throughout the day, some random noises, which isn't great when you're trying to, uh, record from a makeshift uh, studio in, in, in your apartment. So, weird time of year. The good news, however, is that we are still very early in the season, right? We're only about 13, 14 games into the year, depending on how you're looking at things. There's a lot of times storylines are still developing. Uh, if anything, and I feel this every year when this time of year arrives, I get so excited to write about a bunch of different storylines or look into a bunch of different stats, but then when you decide to dive into things, you realize that it's an incredibly small sample size, and you're like, well, whatever I'm writing right now, is it even going to mean anything in two weeks? Does it actually tell me anything about what's going on? So we're at a tough point of the year, so if there is a, a, an opportunity for me to, to miss a little bit of time, this was the chance to do it. We've gotten a you know, still a small sample size, like I said, but it's a decent enough amount of games for us to start picking apart some thoughts and drawing uh, at least broader conclusions of some kind. So that's where that's where we're at. Now, while I uh, didn't record, there's plenty of stuff that did happen, most of which involved the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I feel like I, I, I probably wouldn't be doing my job as someone who uh, writes basketball content and has a basketball podcast, if you can call it that. I mean, I'm supposed to, but where have I been? I know. I'll try to I'll try to give myself some slack, but I mean, this is, I feel like the mic's looking at me with a disappointed father look shaking his head. But the Brooklyn Nets, I don't want to spend much time talking about it. All I'm going to say is that the vibes there stink, the team stinks. It's like the smell when I first got my uh, dog a couple months ago and and she had this parasite and she was just having diarrhea the first couple weeks. You know, it smells something like that. And that's why I don't want to give them much time. But also Kyrie Irving just doesn't deserve, you know, he doesn't deserve to be publicized uh, any more than he already has. I just think that the NBA is in a situation where they need to address it firsthand with him. It seems like they're doing that. It seems like Adam Silver is now finally having to intervene uh, with the Brooklyn Nets organization and talk to Kyrie Irving. Regardless, you know, he's just somebody that I don't care for and somebody that I can't trust. You know, I don't know. I truly don't know how much longer this guy's going to be in the league. He's talented enough, obviously, for just looking from a basketball perspective. There's no question he's talented enough to continue to be on winning teams quote-unquote but at the end of the day nobody wants him he do, he's supposed to have a big payday coming up he's not going to get paid unless he goes to some tanking team I guess who's super desperate so whatever I'll ramble about it and like I said he's not worth most of my time so just wanted to to say something on the matter 
so it doesn't seem like I'm just completely ignoring the elephant in the room. I don't think the Brooklyn Nets are going to come up at all during this show or during this podcast or conversation. Uh, that's that's all we're going to say on that. So, okay. What my plan is for this show, again, to kind of get back onto a certain groove, and I think I'm going to try to do this several times throughout the season, is go through top five lists. That's going to be what this whole show is. It's going to be a segment that's just called Top Fives, how creative. And I have a bunch of top five lists, things like top five surprises, top five things I'd rather do than watch the Lakers, you know, just just different lists that we're going to go through briefly. And by doing so, I think we'll be able to touch on a lot of different things that are happening around the league. And of course, that will include my traditional talk about the Chicago Bulls. So that's where we're going to be. That's where we're at. Again, thanks for sticking with me. I'm sorry uh, for the long intervals between these shows. Hopefully, we're keeping my fingers crossed. I'm knocking on wood. Could you hear that? That was a knock on wood that we're smooth sailing from here and everything's okay. If not, remember, you can always read my content over at bleachernation.com. That stuff is going up every day. Uh, Even though I had my stuff going on the past couple weeks, there's still plenty of content up on bleachernation.com about the Chicago Bulls and the NBA in general. So please, you can always head over there. If for some reason you're craving uh, my thoughts specifically, I don't know why you would be, but maybe you are. All right, that's it. Let's move on to the top five lists. Once again, like I did last show, I'm going to alert you in advance that my dog is lurking. And I can already hear her in the back licking herself. I'm pretty sure that that shouldn't be coming up on the mic right now. But in case you hear some random licks, you're going to know where that comes from. Okay, top five lists. The first top five list I want to go over are the top five surprises of the year. And I promise these are not, these are not going to be all generic top five lists, you know, boring stuff. But I do think we have to start with the top five surprises. So the number one on my list, it's kind of, it's kind of twofold. So I'm already cheating a little bit, but the number one thing on my list, it has to be Lowry Markkinen and the Utah Jazz. Mostly Lowry Markkinen. Specifically as somebody who has followed the Bulls for as long as I have and who now has an entire career around uh, obsessively observing this team, I cannot believe what I am seeing from this man. <laughs> well, okay, I should, I should reiterate myself. I can believe what I'm seeing from this man because it's what everybody who followed the Chicago Bulls wanted and hoped to see from this man, but eventually had to give up and never thought we would see it from this man. So, obviously, just to touch, to, to, to retrack how Markkinen got to where he is right now, with the Chicago Bulls, a, a fundamental piece of that Jimmy Butler trade. I think a lot of people forget, when they traded for Jimmy Butler on that uh, you know 2017 draft night, whatever it was, and he, they sent Butler over to the Minnesota Timberwolves, they got back Zach Levine. Levine wasn't expected to be the foundational piece to that puzzle. Uh, he, at this point, had his torn ACL while he was a young, intriguing former lottery pick. Uh, you know, there were questions about how high his ceiling was. He seemed like maybe he was just going to be more of that spark plug scorer for you. Still a good piece to get back, don't get me wrong. However, ACL injury, especially at that time in the NBA, it wasn't like players were just bouncing back from ACL injuries like we see right now. You know, this was seven years ago, uh, and 
yeah, you didn't you didn't really you didn't see players just bounce back from these injuries. So all that to say, Markenden was more viewed as with that number seven pick in this draft as hey, this is the guy that where we think, and I'm speaking as if I am uh, John Paxson and Gar Foreman, which oh, I don't want I, I I shouldn't say that I don't I don't want to be I don't want to be those two people. But okay, you're them. You take Laurie Markkinen, and you're thinking, hey, this Dirk-like seven-footer who can handle the ball and and uh, drain shots from downtown and and was killing opponents at Arizona, he's going to be kind of the face of our franchise. And for the, for the most part, during that first season, there were glimpses of that happening. I think he became one of the fastest players at the time in the NBA to reach 100 three-pointers. Uh, he had plenty of fun glimpses. And then over the next couple of years, uh, that kind of continued. He took a step back in his second year, but you know he had his his month long stretches. There's that famous 2018 uh, in February uh, where you know he had or 2018-2019 season in February where he went off and was averaging like 30 points in uh, over that month. And the flashes were always there. It seemed like hey, there's here's this extremely versatile player. The defense may not have been there exactly, but he was still a seven footer. There was still potential for him to maybe slide over into the center position at time, times, be the rim protector that you wanted him to be. But it was mainly about his offensive skill set. Here's a seven footer who who can dribble, who can, uh, you know, single handedly run a coast to coast possession. He can drain shots from downtown. He should be able to rebound. He should be able to offensive rebound. In theory, Markinen, it was a player worth trying to invest in further and build around. Okay. All of the things happen in Chicago. You have a change in coaches. Then you have a change in regime. And, you know, marketing just, it it's hard. You can't blame him fully because of all these changes that happened at such a young age in his career. And also the ascent of Zach Levine. All of a sudden you come, okay, wait, this guy might actually be the face of the franchise. And if he is... You know, what's Markkanen? How much are we putting into Markkanen? How much are we focusing on his development as uh, for, you know, instead of Levine's development? And you get to this final season that he had in Chicago where it was going so south, it was going so bad that he ends up literally playing a reserve role on the bench. And it just felt like it was over. The time was done. I mean, this is a guy that, like I said, was supposed to be a face of the franchise, and now he's coming off the bench, and he's averaging career lows across the board. He doesn't seem to fit with, you know, it was an evaluation year for the new regime. If you have that kind of year in the evaluation year, you're not going to stick around, and no one could blame them for what they decided to do. So that offseason, they traded him to the Cleveland Cavaliers. His value was as low as it could be. All they were hoping to get in return was a first-round pick. For several months, it seemed like they weren't going to get that, but... They did. They got a lottery-protected first-round pick from the Portland Trailblazers, and that can go into effect all the way until 2028. And they got Derek Jones Jr., who's been a perfectly fine, solid role player for them. So I'll wrap this up. You go over to Cleveland now. Markkinen's in Cleveland. Uh, has a really solid year in Cleveland, all things considered. When we compare to what people thought he could be, shoots the three-ball extremely well, playing small forward in this jumbo ball lineup. He is really just looked at as a glorified catch and shoot guy. Play hard, try to get, you know, try to get me some rebounds, but mostly stand there and be ready to catch and shoot. And he did that for them. Jump two this summer. Obviously, like I said, solid enough performance with Cleveland, but not enough where you're like, well, he's a foundational piece of what we're trying to build here. So his 
salary is used to go and get Donovan Mitchell, which we'll talk about later, has worked out wonderfully for the Cleveland Cavaliers, and Markkinen ends up in Utah, and that's where we are now. Well, I should say, then Utah heads into the season with Markkinen, basically as (laughs) one of their key players, and everyone assumes that they're on Wemby watch, right? This team is going full tank mode, and you can't blame them. While they have some interesting interesting pieces on that roster, these are all role-player type guys. There's no alpha dogs. There's nothing. Uh, there's not a ton of you know high upside youth necessarily. It's clear that draft picks was the priority, and drafting will be the priority. Then the season starts. Utah gets to 10 wins like that. They're the second best team in the West. It's not some sort of fluke when you watch them. They play amazing basketball. They play great team basketball. They play smart. Their new head coach, Will Hardy, is is using Lowry Markkinen in arguably the best way that he's ever been used. Taking notes from what he did in the summer when he looked awesome for Finland. He comes over here and he comes back to the NBA. And right now, he's averaging 22 points per game eight rebounds. He's flashing exactly that offensive skill set that we touched on earlier that was supposed to be so intriguing. He can handle the ball at this elite size. He can hit these, you know, jerk-like step-back turnaround jumpers. He's playing physical. That was the biggest problem that he had in Chicago. It's like, dude, you have this seven-foot frame. You're strong as heck. Why aren't you playing harder? Why aren't you fighting for rebounds? Why aren't you putting your body into guys? He's doing that now. And he's letting him touch the basketball in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different areas of the court. He's allowing him to to kind of just be his own. And maybe this is what Markman needed, you know? This is Cleveland was a winning team last year. And I don't think the expectation was this year that Utah was going to be a winning team. So in Markman's brain, he's coming in here. And in Utah's brain, they're coming in there. And they're saying, literally just do whatever you can. I'm, I will try to put you in the best position to succeed, but we're not concerned about this right now. We're not concerned about winning basketball games. So you go out and you just play and you play to the best of your ability. And Markkinen's done that so far. And sure, I know people from Chicago's perspective are going to say, well, he had that the first couple of years in Chicago. Yeah, but he was a 20, you know, 20 year old player, 21 year old player. He's still young, but he's now checked boxes off. He's gone through a lot of years of development, going to Cleveland and playing on a winning team and playing a winning role. That's super important. Those things are huge for a player's development. So, anyway, all of that to say, what he's done this season, he's on an all-star trajectory. We'll see if it sticks around. We've seen these flashes in the past, but this seems like more than a flash. This seems like a new Lowry Markkinen. So I think he's uh, headed on an all-star trajectory. We'll talk more about Utah moving forward because I do have some questions about how they're going to handle him and handle their success right now. But... That's the first surprise. Okay, that's a long first surprise. But I, that's the one that I, that's the biggest surprise. That's like the one of the biggest storylines of the year so far has been the Jazz and Markkinen. So we touched on that. Top five surprises. Number two, similarly to what we just talked about with the Jazz, are the Portland Trailblazers. The Portland Trailblazers were supposed to be eyeing lottery balls in a lot of people's minds. They went. They, they couldn't have gone harder in the tank direction uh, during the second half of last season. They were fully invested in the lottery. They end up with Shaden Sharp. And it seemed like this year, 
they could be on that same path, especially when we considered, you know, it, when we considered the, the the type of talent that was coming up here. And Damian Lillard, there are question marks around him. But it turns out those questions that we had about Damian Lillard's health and whether this this Lillard time run was over, those were silly because Damian Lillard's freaking amazing and he's averaging 27 points per game. He's shooting 38% from downtown on almost 10 attempts per game. Mix into his outstanding play, Anthony Simons, who has taken massive steps over the past couple of years and now looks like a legitimate number two. I think that was a big reason they were comfortable getting rid of C.J. McCollum in the middle of last year because they knew Simons could basically take McCollum's role. That's all he's done so far. He's averaging over 20 points per game. Jeremy Grant's averaging over 20 points per game. That ended up looking like a decent trade for Portland. He's come in, and he's played strong, and I think he's happy there. He was somebody that got a lot of crap because everyone was like, well, you're not a number one player, and if you want to be a number one player, you're just going to have to be that on a crappy team. But I think Grant kind of backed off. He's like, I just want to get paid, and I can still contribute at a high level to a winning team. He's doing that right now uh, without being, let's say, the number one guy. He's still a top three guy on the top team in the West right now, I believe. So he plays great. Josh Hart is leading the way on the defensive end. That was a, a great pickup for them in that McCollum deal. Uh, I'm very jealous of him. He's somebody I would, I would love to have on the Chicago Bulls. And Sharp, who we mentioned they got in the lottery, he looks great to start. I, I'm shocked with how comfortable he's been able to look on an NBA floor when we consider how little he played at the college level. He was one of the biggest question marks of this draft, but it was a high-risk, uh, high-reward situation. And right now, the reward is looking decent. So Portland, uh, they've actually put themselves in a really solid position. I have questions a little bit about their depth and, um, you know, how long this can continue. They're playing very well on both ends of the floor, so we'll see if they can keep that up. But to their credit, they kind of rebranded themselves this this uh, offseason, and it's worked in their advantage so far. So good for them. Number three biggest surprise. This one's a little biased, but I think it's pretty shocking. Uh, the Chicago Bulls rancid offense, but great defense. I don't know if we we saw that coming at all. When you have three all-star caliber players who are offensive-minded, and this team basically got to the playoffs last year because of what their offense was able to do and what guys like DeMar DeRozan were able to do and, and even Zach Levine on a bad knee were able to do. So the fact that this year, and I wrote about this, on Bleacher Nation if you want a more extensive discussion, so I'm going to keep this one brief because I have everything over there. But the Bulls' offense ranked or ranks currently 22nd in the league, and last year it was 13th. Flip it, this year they're 7th on defense, but last year they were 23rd. So they basically had an opposite, or they've had a switch of what's successful and what works for them and what doesn't. And it's only 14 games into the year. You know, we might see things level out. Uh, I still expect in some ways, this offense to kind of trump what they're able to do on defense. But at the same time, this is where their their role players thrive. I mean, guys like Javante Green, Derek Jones Jr., uh, Ayo Desumu, even Patrick Williams, who has played pretty darn well over the past couple of weeks, those are all kind of defense-first guys or guys who can impact uh, the floor defensively. Offensively, it's all about their three all-stars, and those guys just haven't been playing up up to the level that they need to right now. Uh, Levine's finally getting into a groove, so I think he'll help the offense, you know, he'll, he'll spark it a little bit. But basically what I'm just trying to say is offense stinks. They're one of the least efficient offense in the league, which is just surprising when you look at their talent. And then their defense, they're a top five, top six defense in the league right now. And I don't think really anybody saw that coming. Now, to be fair, 
the last thing I'll say about the this is that I do think those defensive numbers are a little bit inflated because this team does force a lot of turnovers. And when you're looking at these metrics, forcing turnovers just inflates a lot of things. And it's not that forcing turnovers, you know, you do deserve, deserve credit for your ability to do that. But half-court-wise, this is still a defense that really screws up rotations a lot, will let guys fly by them. They still need better wing defenders. So there are questions that I have about how long this can keep up. But considering they don't have Lonzo Ball, this has been a pretty pleasant surprise for them. It's kept them kind of alive. Even though a 6-8 start doesn't feel great, their schedule is really difficult. So it's surprising to me that they have been able to uh, play as well as they have on the defensive end without, you know, who we found out last year was their defensive anchor in Lonzo Ball. Okay, number four, Miami. A big surprise has been the slow start, I think, for the Miami Heat. And and I kind of say that even being the one who was skeptical of them when I was ranking Eastern Conference teams a couple of weeks back on this podcast. I was skeptical of, of Miami, but I think I'm still surprised by the fact that they've started seven and seven and have looked as rough around the edges as they have. I mean, this is a team that has this is a team that made to the NBA Finals, what, three seasons ago, almost made it there again last year. They have obviously a lot of veteran savvy and Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, Bam Adebayo looks like he could be a defensive player of the year type candidate, or at least he has in the past. So the fact that they have started seven and seven and truly just when you watch them and when you're looking at this team, they just kind of play stale. There's something about them that just doesn't feel right. And I don't know if it's ever going to feel right this season. Just because Kyle Lowry is literally shooting below 40% from the field to start the year. He looks his age right now. And I get it. You know, he's all respect to Kyle Lowry, but that was the risk you made when, when you went out and you went to go get him. It was like how much longer of a truly impactful Kyle Lowry do you have left? And we might be getting our answer right now. Same thing with Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler's great. He turns it on during playoff time. I'm sure he'll do it again. I still feel like this, you know, this is still a playoff team. But there's still an inevitable Jimmy Butler injury probably coming down the road. How is that going to impact the Miami Heat? Bam Adebayo. He was somebody who was rumored in the in the Kevin Durant trade rumors. You know, like how invested are they in him moving forward? So I don't know. There's just something about Miami's slow start that feels funky. It feels a little bit off. Uh, they don't feel like the deepest team right now, even though they always somehow turn, uh, pl- you know, no names. They somehow usually turn no names into magical role players, but something just feels off. And I don't know if they're going to be able to do that this year. So maybe a change has to be coming for this team. It's it's only a matter of time. If it's not this year, it could be next year. If it's not next year, then it most definitely has to be the year after that. This team is old. They rely on older players. Some sort of switch uh, has to be coming. And, and, you know, maybe that switch finally flips this year. I don't know. It'll be something to keep an eye on. Okay, number five biggest surprise. To recap, we have marketing, Trailblazers, the Bulls rancid offense but great defense, the slow start Miami Heat, and fifth for me, I have the Golden State Warriors. Similarly to your Miami Heat team, we're dealing with a Golden State Warriors team that seems to have the epitome of a championship hangover. They seem all sort of discombobulated as they try to mesh you know, the future with the present. You have aging guys in Draymond Green and Klay Thompson who 
again, similar to how I'm talking about Kyle Lowry, all respect to those two players, but they're just not the same as they used to be. Steph Curry, credit to him, is playing out of his mind, but you have the team that we've come to know and respect over the past handful of years with all of these young players who have to substitute in and just don't look ready yet, even though they were in a great winning environment, they're still extremely young, who just don't look ready yet to contribute at the level that the Warriors need to be a championship team. So there's no, there's no, we can't rule this team out. I mean, the Warriors are still the Warriors. They're still one of the best developmental organizations in the league. There's no question that some of these guys that are struggling right now may find their groove as the season goes on. So it's not to say that, oh my God, is this finally the downfall of the Warriors? Kind of like how I feel about Miami. Like, oh my God, wait, is this the downfall of Miami? Whereas for the Warriors, it's, it's I don't have that concern just yet. But when we just factor in that this is the team that just won the NBA Finals, the other team that was in the NBA Finals and the Boston Celtics couldn't look, I mean, they looked just as good as they did during the second half of last year in a lot of ways. Jason Tatum's playing like an MVP candidate uh, and the rest of the team looks great. We can't say the same about the Warriors right now. So it's been surprising to see how human that team looks when we know that they can look like a mix of Superman and Spider-Man and Batman and Wonder Woman. And should I just keep, what if this restless podcast, you just kept listening and it was just me listing <laughs> superheroes, whatever, you know, that team is, is the team that we've come to know as the dominant one. And it's, it's just always jarring when they don't look that way. So th- those are my top five biggest surprises of the season let's move on to our next top five list okay this list we're calling the top five no really can you see what i did with my voice there it's kind of like sarcasm it's kind of it, it basically this, this is just a sarcastic list it's things like of course that's happening like we should have seen this kind of like no duh so the first big no duh I said there wasn't going to be really any Brooklyn Nets talk this podcast, and I kind of lied because, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to last long on it. The, but the Kyrie and Ben Simmons thing, I mean, that's that's the biggest no doubt that there could be. Kyrie Irving screwing up already, and being an anti-Semitic jerk, putting the you know his playing time in jeopardy. He's already been suspended from the team. He's not on the court. Whatever. And then Ben Simmons report coming out earlier this week that. The team's concerned about him not seeming like he's fully invested or wants to be on the basketball floor. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a mess, and we all could have seen it coming, and, that, and that's that. So that's the number one, like, oh, no, I can't, oh, my God, Pikachu meme. Like, wow, okay. Moving on. Cleveland being good. I think we all kind of talked about Donovan Mitchell earlier, but, like, yeah, that's what happens when you trade for a multi-time All-Star who's only, you know, just about to enter his prime, and you add him to a team that already, before they got hurt last year, was a middle-of-the-pack team in the East looking like they were going to avoid the playing tournament. So when you add Donovan Mitchell to an All-Star in Darius Garland, an All-Star in Jared Allen, uh, an emerging All-Star in Evan Mobley, who also might be a defensive player of the year one year, like, it, of course this is going to work out. And... Cleveland, you know, at the end of the day, we'll, we'll see how long this lasts. I think the, mo- the more surprising thing has just been how fast it clicked. Like, I believed that that this team was going to be great. I just didn't think that they would look this good right away. But, yeah, they do. And it's it's we shouldn't be surprised because Donovan Mitchell is really freaking good. And I know that sometimes he gets his bad rap a little bit on the defensive end and, and just because maybe sometimes he's a ball hog. But, like, 
Cleveland had no offensive identity. And Garland's, at the end of the day, a point guard. He's super unselfish. He wants to get guys involved. Mitchell gives them an offensive uh, offensive identity, and he's also come to Cleveland with a chip on his shoulder, and we know what that guy can do when he plays like that. We've seen him in the playoffs. Like, this guy's a proven scorer, uh, and he's elite. So there you have it. I mean, it's it's we all should have seen it coming. The next thing we all should have seen coming is the uh, Lakers sucking. I, I don't think any—we we can't be surprised about this, right? Like, this, ta- this is going to tie in soon to my, my next uh, category here, my next top five list. But they suck. They're 30th in offense. They have no shooting. They decided let's build a let's let's build a team around LeBron James again that has zero shooting. Uh, Westbrook stinks. You know they moved him to the bench and he's played a little bit better, but it's not it's not a winning recipe. There's rumors about Anthony Davis being traded. The organization's in a really crappy place, and I don't think any of us should be surprised by this. Okay, number four on the no way really list. I keep changing the name of this list, but you get the point of it. Giannis is amazing. Uh, of course he is. The Bucks look awesome. They're doing all this without Chris Middleton. They're one of the best teams in the league without, well, their second best player. Uh, Giannis is averaging a career high in points, and he just can't be stopped. Like, he looks he looks ready to win his third MVP, and I know MVP voters are can be stiff about letting that happen, but he might just steal it from them. You know, he might, he might force them to do it because the guy looks amazing. And I think specifically, and this is why I had them ranked number one in my Eastern Conference Power Rankings earlier this offseason, the fact of the matter is that the East is going to be beating up on each other all season long. We see the middle of the pack teams. Yeah, maybe some of them start entering tank mode, and that's another thing we'll touch on later. But I think they're going to beat each other up so much, and the middle of the ground is is so jam-packed that, that Milwaukee is just clearly the best team I think in the conference and yeah I mean Boston you know is sneaking up in there just with how well Tatum's playing right now if you can keep that up and like I said Cleveland's super good but at the end of the day we're also there's just no topping what Giannis can do and in my opinion this could easily be a season where he just gets another championship I think we would put you know what an over under of Giannis championships at like three, at two and a half three maybe even three and a half with how good he is and in my brain, it's just impossible that, or, you know, in my brain, he's going to get another one is basically what I'm saying. And it seems like this is the type of year where that other one might happen. There's no, the, the West is all messed up. The East is going to be beating up on each other. And maybe we can even see right now that it's as simple as, well, the best player in the league is going to go win another championship. All right. The last, no, really, in this top five list is the Minnesota Timberwolves. More specifically, the Rudy Gobert trade by the Minnesota Timberwolves. Normally, I say that we need to wait to analyze a trade fully. Uh, you know, I, I think that about that with the Vucevic trade, which that the Bulls did, and, and you know, unfortunately, that one is not uh, not moving in their favor. But whatever. I, still th- I just think you have to wait a lot of times and, and see what happens. And... I'm revoking that rule for this Gobert one, just like I revoked it for the Russell Westbrook trade for the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, it's not going to be as detrimental to the team, I think, as the Westbrook one was for the Lakers, but just when we're factoring in how much they paid for Rudy Gobert, at the time, it felt like a ridiculous overpay for a fit that was sketchy at best, and now we're seeing that come to fruition immediately. Sure, there's time to work it out, but the fit between Rudy Gobert and Carl Anthony Towns makes pretty much no sense. 
Carl Anthony Towns, what made him special was this idea of, like, let's play him at center. He's a mismatch nightmare. He can space the floor, all this stuff. Now, you're just sticking him along the perimeter. You have Gobert in the paint. That's not only hurting what Carl Anthony Towns can offer your team, but it's also hurting what your emerging potential, your superstar in Anthony Edwards can do. He's had a rough start to the year because, well, Rudy Gobert's plugged in the paint, and Edwards feels like he has to get everybody involved. So, basically... This team, well, let me say this. The team right now uh, sits 21st in net rating, and they're 23rd in rebounding, despite having these two big men and having one of the best rebounders in the league in Rudy Gobert. Oh, yeah, there's been locker room tension already. The press conferences have been super strange. Everyone seems ticked off about how the start of the year has gone. So I just think this was incredibly predictable. Right, like everyone kind of saw this coming. People were hot and cold about the Gobert trade. You know, some people appreciated Minnesota going for it, but you have to be. And I talked about this again over the offseason on this show. You have to be positive that when you make that move, that that's the move that's going to get you a championship. And for a team like the Timberwolves, who, you know, they they just got they just got too happy. I'll just say that, right? Like they they got too excited. You know, this, we're talking about a team that just did a front flip on the trampoline and then went to go try it on the concrete and had to go home with a bloody nose. You know, this is this is a team that got too happy, too fast, too excited. They should have continued to build around their young stars and tried to add complimentary pieces along the way. They weren't ready for a championship. They sold all their assets because they thought that they could be this, I guess, perennial contender. And we can't rule out the fact that they rise up, you know, the West... The West is wide open right now, so it's it's perfectly an option, but it doesn't look good, and I don't think anyone is necessarily surprised that it doesn't look great. Okay? All right. The next top five list. This is going to be a short one. We'll breeze right through it. These are the top five things that I would rather do than watch the Los Angeles Lakers. The first thing is fall face first onto a porcupine. That's the first thing that I would rather do. Maybe it feel like acupuncture even. It could be relaxing as we pull those puppies out. Number two, I'd rather snake 100 drains. I was doing this the other day. You know, like, do you remember, you know when you have to snake your drain? Like, if you don't use Drano and you use one of those, like, sticks and you have to get everything out of there because it feels like it's a little... It's so gross every time. I don't know what comes out of the drain. It's a mix of, like, black sludge and hair. It's like there's some evil demon spirit living in there. I would rather do that 100 times than watch the Los Angeles Lakers. That's how bored I am every time I watch that team. Uh, and I can't even hate watch them because that's how, how, how little I, I like watching them. Okay, number three, I'd rather go back to seventh grade. I was trying to think about this. What's the worst grade? I feel like seventh wasn't like seventh wasn't the worst grade for me, but I just think middle school is bad. And, you know, maybe it's sixth grade. I don't know. Middle school in general was, was probably the worst, though, like, High school at the end of the... I know some people have bad high school experiences, but, like, elementary school and high school, you kind of, like, at that point in your life are who you are, and then in middle school is a bunch of people who don't know who they are, and they're horny all the time, and it's just... It's it's the worst thing ever. So I'd rather go back to middle school. Uh, number four, I'd rather eat a brick. Uh, pretty self-explanatory there. And number five, I'd rather make a dandruff snow angel. I don't know. It just seems very unpleasant, right? The idea of, like doing that in somebody's dandruff but i'd rather do it than watch the lakers so all right let's move on to my top five players to watch right now list this is probably one that i'll do each time i do this top five thing because it's going to change all the time but 
over these first uh, few weeks of the season or first month of the season or so. These are the five players that kind of at the top of my head st- stood out as, yeah, I mean, if that guy's on, I want to sit down and watch him. Number one on this list, and it may surprise folks, but if you're following, if you're in tune with what's going on in the league right now, then it, then it shouldn't surprise you, is Shea Gilgis Alexander on the Oklahoma City Thunder. The breakout is upon us, people. He is averaging 31.5 points per game with 2.1 steals. He's shooting 53.9% from the field and 37.8 from uh, behind the arc. Can he keep it up? Why not? Why can't he keep it up? The Thunder, they have nobody else they're going to go to. This is his team. He's able to lead them right now whatever way he wants. He honestly looks so good, and he's so fun to watch, that the Thunder might really have no choice but to shoot for the playoffs. I mean, this is a guy that's going to be able to keep you in the mix. And, you know, maybe they decide to trade him. You know, maybe I don't know. Like, there's, I'm sure there's teams around the league, and we know we, we Sam Presti at the end of the day, like, we know he always loves his draft picks. He probably wants a shot at Wemby, so I'm not going to be shocked if uh, Shea becomes the type of player who is who, the next kind of big-name player who's on the market. But I don't know. He's so good that why not further invest in him? He may be a little bit outside of what you think your timeline is, but again, he's playing so well that maybe he speeds up your timeline. So he's just somebody right now that you have to watch. It, the way that he plays, he moves with the basketball. I can't believe how efficient he is. Uh, at the rim I was looking at it earlier today he's shooting 72 percent at the rim which is outrageous uh yeah you know how hard that is as a freaking guard I mean I know he's a 6-6 guard but still like the, it, it's absurd what he's doing right now and yeah so I I if he's on I want to watch him one of the best two-way players in the league and he's making the Thunder a really interesting team okay my next player to watch right now, talked about him earlier, so I'll keep this one brief, is Donovan Mitchell. Uh, speaking of spicy guards like Shea, this is another guy who we already know ha- has that kind, of, has that ability to just go on a tear, go on a streak, make every shot. Uh, another player who shoots, I think, an absurd clip in the 70s as well at the rim. He's just crushing teams. And also, he's given more energy on the defensive end this year, which has been great to see. I think, you know, come out of coming into a play defense is all effort, right? So you come into a place where you're happy, give a little bit more on that side of the floor. So he's somebody who looks like he could be in an MVP can conversation right now. I don't think he'll be someone who wins it, but hey, let's say Cleveland locks up like a one seed. Like, what are you gonna do about it? He has to be in that in that conversation, you know? He's been that good. Cleveland in general has been fun to watch, but Mitchell's been the reason that they have been fun to watch. So he's gotta be high on my list. Next is Jason Tatum. As little as I like watching the Celtics, there's absolutely no denying that Jason Tatum looks like one of the best players in the league right now. And he's averaging 31.9 points per game. He's somebody that the question kind of always was, can he be this alpha male? We especially asked that question during the finals last season. He had some really rough stretches, even though earlier in the playoffs he looked great. But it was like, okay, here's your biggest moment, Tatum. What are you going to do with it? And kind of lays an egg. And that's never a good sign. You know, sometimes you just think, okay, maybe he's not that guy for your team. Maybe he's your number two. Well, he gave us a middle finger, and he said, no, I'm a number one, and he's playing that way this year. So Jason Tatum, I have to tip my hat to him. He's been incredible to watch, and he's doing it all. Next, I think this guy just has to be on the list at all times. So it's not even what he's done this year, per se. But John Moran, I mean, there's like you can't have him off a list like this. I'll probably be on my list every time I do it this season. 
because he's incredibly fun to watch. Not only are the Grizzlies great, but Jaw's just a human highlight reel. You know, I've, I've compared him in the past to like a prime Derrick Rose in a lot of ways. Just what he's able to do at his size with his athleticism and you know, he's one of those guys that just sneaks up on you to, to either posterize you or get that, that ridiculous block. So he continues to be amazing to watch. He's one of the best players in the league to watch. And anytime you have a top five players to watch list, he's pretty much going to have to be on it. Simple as that. Finally, my fifth uh, best player to watch right now. Another, probably another kind of surprise, but I'm putting Paolo Bancaro on here right now. I know he's, he's been hurt the past couple of games, but we're talking about a rookie who's averaging 23.5 points per game and uh, eight rebounds. So if you're a rookie and you're averaging that stat line, even if your team sucks, I just have to, I mean, I got, you, I have to watch you. That's, that's amazing. And I have to give Paolo a ton of credit because he wasn't necessarily the person in my brain that I, I thought was, was going to be the number one pick. You know, I think Jabari Smith was obviously there for a long time, but then he fell. And then after Jabari, you had Chet Holmgren, and he's out for the year. So, you know, we don't know what Chet would have been able to do, but I doubt he would have been giving us what Paolo's giving us. So, yeah, what we've seen from him, the Orlando Magic in general are just a fun up-and-coming team. You know, they're they're probably going to be in the, you know, in that early. They're going to be up for a big pick this year again, but that's just because they're super young. They have a great pieces to build around moving forward. And Paolo looks worthy of a number one pick right now. His size is insane. Uh you know, his, just what he's able to do again, he's one of those guys, like what he's able to do with his body already at this stage is incredible. And he's still going to be able to add muscle and, uh, as he keeps going. So super fun to watch. And if you're not watching enough of them, you should. (sighs) These are my top five things to watch as we move forward. Number one, the Sacramento Kings people, they have arrived. They're here. Maybe. I don't know. But th- that's why we have to keep watching. They have won four in a row as of recording this. They just handed the Nets a ridiculous 153, uh, I was going to say point loss, but that, that, that would be the wrong wording. That would be insane. They beat the <laughs> they beat the Nets by scoring 153 points. To be sure, the Nets' defense is, is pretty putrid, but it's still 153 points. I mean, in a, it wasn't, there was no overtime. They just, <laughs> they just did that. And their offense... The rating right now is the second best in the league. I mean, probably a little bit inflated from scoring 153 points. But still, that's incredible. They're doing it without Keegan Murray, who was the number four pick in the draft. And, Keegan, and, and you know, maybe that doesn't sound impressive, but Keegan Murray is, like, going to be probably their third best offensive player. Like, if not four. Like, that he's he looked great in summer league. Uh, he's immediately ready to contribute, so he looks awesome. So, yeah, I was already on this Kings bandwagon, and I'm really excited that it seems to finally be... Uh, off and running they have so much offensive talent they have a fun mix of you know veterans and young players Sabonis and Fox they showed a lot uh, at the end of last year just kind of a fun combination they're doing it again so oh yeah and they also have a good coach I mean adding Mike Brown ended up being a decent move so Overall, uh, I'm very impressed with what we've seen from the Kings, and it makes me look forward to what we might see from them. It just seems like this might be the year that they finally break uh, their playoff curse. At least I hope so for them. I think this team's worth it. You know, this is a fun enough team to do it. All right, number two, going all the way back to our beginning, our first top five list, the Utah Jazz. What are they going to do? What, are you, are you really going to, are they really going to do this? Are they really going to go to the playoffs with a team that's built around Lowry Markkinen and Jordan Clarkson and 
Mike Conley, and that doesn't seem like a smart idea. I know you have draft picks for days now, so maybe you're not too worried about it. You still think you can get great talent later on, but this is a generational draft that we're talking about. Going after those top two spots, that's that's what teams want. And I find it so hard to believe that Utah, a team that just traded away two multi-time All-Stars, one three-time defensive player of the year, and one three-time All-Star before he even turns, what, 26 years old? So this just seems like a like a team that has to, to be all-in for finding that next superstar. And as good as their team is right now, it doesn't seem worth it long-term to keep this up. So that's a team that we have to keep our eye on because they've made it hard now not to keep playing good basketball. But they've also improved the stock of all of these players on this roster right off the bat. So if you're Utah and you're looking towards the February trade deadline, you're saying like, oh my God, I can keep stacking up assets, future assets, because who's who's not going to want Laurie Markkinen right now? Who's not going to want Jordan Clarkson right now? Who's not going to want uh, even Mike Conley right now? You know, some of the, like, there's, there's veterans and strong players and plenty of good role players, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley. Like, there's guys on this team that, that those that are trying to contend will 100% want to welcome into their home. So I think we're going to see Utah do a massive sell-off still. Uh, I could be wrong, but it just would seem silly to keep winning, right? Even though it's been a fun story, it seems silly. That kind of piggybacks into my next point of this top five things to watch moving forward, which would be the trade market. One, I have a question about whether or not this trade market could start sooner than later. I know executives kind of talked about that during the offseason. The thought was, all right, teams are going to have to decide whether or not they want to tank, right? Well before the February trade deadline. So my dog just walked in with a toy. She's giving me the puppy dog eyes. Okay, she's walking out. She probably, I think she, she got embarrassed that I was telling you all you that. The trade market, right? People think that at the end of the day, teams are going to start selling off sooner than later. And that means that over the next couple of weeks, we could seriously begin to see some interesting players become available. And yeah, that's just going to be important to watch for a lot of teams, including a team like the Chicago Bulls, who have no incentive to tank right now, no incentive to sell pieces off. And uh, that's that. Trades are always interesting. So in general, we just got to keep an eye on the trade market. The fourth thing to watch, I think it has to be Luka Doncic's usage percentage right now. He started the first couple weeks of the season having a career, you know, or not, or not only a career high, but also like an NBA record in usage. And while I don't think he's going to finish beating, you know, Jordan's usage and in the late 80s and things like that, he's still carrying a ridiculous load for his team right now. And he's on... And a big reason, or and a big reason for that is because of you know they got rid of Jalen Brunson. Uh, there just seems to be a lot of questions around who's going to step up. Christian Wood has started to do that for them, so maybe that helps you know take a little bit of the burden off. But Luca's also that kind of player, right? When we look at like a James Harden when he was in Houston, that's basically what Luca has to do right now and how this team is built. He's that special of a player where you can put your entire offensive load on his back and see what he can do. Now, does that lead to the most? sustain or does that lead to the success in terms of a championship level success not all of the time but I don't know I don't know if doubt that's in Dallas's cards right now it just maybe they know that this isn't necessarily a championship season unless they make some trades but they do know that Luke is good enough to be that MVP type player and 
he's performing like that right now. So he's just one of those players that are, is incredibly fun to watch, but also uh, he's on MVP watch. And I think we have to continue to watch what he's doing basically single-handedly moving forward. Okay, my final thing to watch moving forward for right now again ties back to something we talked about but it has to be the Timberwolves I just don't know what to expect from that team right now and it's pretty freaking crazy that they're in this position to start the year if they don't figure it out like what's gonna happen they can't tank right I mean they don't have their pick so they can't tank uh I don't know. Could that be a like the, the the players seem upset? So could that be a place where a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, you know, begins to get testy and, and want to go somewhere else? He just got a new big contract, so I don't know. I don't know. I basically just say it because there's a level of dysfunction there that is shocking, and that's going to continue to be a storyline because of the star power they have on the roster. And I'm very interested to see if they can figure it out because we saw how fun they were last year. I mean, when that team got going, they were one of the more fun teams to watch in the league. So if this group can get going, uh, I believe they'll be that again. But if they can't, there is going to be a spotlight on them and there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to do something about it. So again, just a team to keep an eye on moving forward. All right, that's my top five list. Sacramento, Utah, trade market, Lucas usage, Timberwolves. Let's watch those things moving forward. Okay, let's briefly wrap this up with a few Chicago Bulls thoughts. The team currently sits 6-8 and eight on the season. Like I touched on earlier, we've seen a flip-flop in the way they've been able to play. The defense has actually been carrying them. A lot of that has been thanks to a better-than-expected bench unit that's just been slaughtering teams in the plus-minus column, while the offense has struggled mightily especially in the starting lineup they're just not scoring efficiently and it's been uh pretty icky to watch on that end of the floor so what do i think long term well at least long term for this season well i think there's no reason to press the panic button yet this is a team that has had basically a top five toughest schedule to start the year to their credit, they've picked up some impressive wins against Miami, even though I kind of talked about some concerns I have about Miami moving forward earlier in the show. But still, that's a big win for them, considering getting they got swept from them by them last year. Then you have a win over the Celtics. They took care of the Nets in the way that they needed to. They were able to have a nice bounce-back performance against Toronto one night after they suffered a disappointing loss in Toronto. They come back to United Center, pick up a big win. So there's been little things here and there that have been very encouraging from this team and that have shown that they can stay afloat, you know, in this Eastern Conference and and get Zach Levine healthier in a rhythm and welcome Lonzo Ball back and maybe have a trade in there. But that's that's the that's speaking of which, that's what I want to touch on right now. The Bulls have put themselves in a very strange position, not only because they don't have a ton of assets, but because they're in win now mode, right? And I don't know what the future of this team looks like right now. All I do know is that they can't tank and that they have to keep trying to win. And so I think we're going to see trade rumors begin to to increase for this group. I don't know exactly what that looks like because they don't have a ton of assets to deal. Like you're, you're not going to get rid of one of your stars. You're not getting rid of Patrick Williams at this point. They, they've proven that they're invested into him. So I look at a guy like Kobe White, potentially a guy like Derek Jones Jr., 
Those are two players that, you know, they have the contracts. And if, if this is a fruitful trade market, like some people expect it to be, then maybe teams are willing to take those two, you know, younger assets. One of them is on a super cheap deal. The other one, he does have to get paid Kobe White this summer. So that's going to be a little bit of an issue. But maybe a tanking team just says, yeah, give me those two pieces. And here's a couple of role players, you know. And what they really need to search for is shooting. The funny thing is, I know Kobe White provides that, but he's streaky. His defense has been, you know, unstable at best. And he just is the, makes the most sense for as a trade candidate. You don't sign Goran Dragic to a deal. And you don't load up this uh, guard position if you don't, you don't draft Dalen Terry, who's a little bit more of a wing. But still, you know, he's, gonna, he, he's, he's a wing who can pass and... and Somebody who can eat minutes up from a guy like Kobe White. So you don't do those things and add those players if there isn't interest in trading White. And I think that's going to come up again this uh, year. And if you don't want to pay him next summer, you kind of have to do it anyway. You know, it's like, what are you going to do? Get nothing for this asset? So just look out for that conversation over the next few weeks. I think, you know, over the next couple months, that's going to be the guy to watch for on this Bulls team. Uh, see if he can, you know, again, I don't know what his value is going to be, but if the Bulls are looking for a trade, he's going to be the name that's probably thrown into the mix. And they need to add shooting. That's what they need to look for. Shooting, a 3 and D guy would be perfect. They'll add back, hopefully, Lonzo Ball in the second half of the season, but Lonzo can't do it alone. He's got to get some, they got to get somebody else who can give you at least average minutes on the defensive end of the floor and can hit an open three for you because the lack of shooting on this team has is going to be their downfall. You know, they, if they stay afloat, the lack of shooting is going to be the big, the, the big problem. They can't beat teams if you can't hit your open threes. I'll have plenty more to say on all that, obviously, on later shows, but that's where I'm going to wrap it up today. I think that's that's got to be it. I got to go play with my dog. I got to go walk around the freezing cold, and uh, then I got to go watch a Bulls game. I'm recording this on, uh, what day is this, Wednesday? They're going to go play the Pelicans, so let's hope that uh, we'll see if they can bounce back. They lost to the Pelicans two games ago, uh, close contest, but Brandon Ingram destroyed them at the end, so we'll see how they uh, respond to that. We will talk again. Next week is the plan. Let's, let's see if the basketball gods allow me to do it. Next week is the plan. Thank you guys for listening.